This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, December 20th, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. Jamestown was first a horrible disaster and then a great success. Rob McDonald is Associate Professor of History at the United States Military Academy and an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. At Cato University earlier this year, he described how the bad incentives at Jamestown nearly destroyed it. You know a little bit about colonial America. You realize that um, we were really just kind of this loose band of colonies that had um, been planted on the uh, eastern seaboard. Uh, It's kind of a truism that the people who, who came to America from England, they came from different parts of England, they settled in different parts of America, um, they came for different reasons. We know that uh, the people who settled in Jamestown, for example, um, they came essentially to make money. Uh, those people who settled in Plymouth, they came because they wanted to establish um, what, what one of their uh, rulers would describe as a city on a hill, this, this great shining example of people living a good and godly life in a new world that would be a beacon of hope um, and an example to, to all the folks on the other side of the Atlantic. Um, we know that there were people in the middle, the Quakers in Pennsylvania, um, who were sort of a, a hybrid of those two models. The old um, adage is that a, a Quaker is someone who prays for you uh, one day a week and, and prays on you, the other six. Um, <laughs> wily business people, um, you know, very good at, at, at producing things. So there's a great deal of diversity in colonial America, and it's always uh, problematic to generalize. A- and yet, the experiences of the settlers in Jamestown and Plymouth seem to illustrate a general principle that should be of interest um, to all of us. Uh, basically, it's that incentives matter, and that if you don't get the incentives uh, right, the results can be disastrous. Now, of course, before you have uh, Jamestown in 1607 and Plymouth in 1620, um, you have in the 1580s um, the attempted establishment of a colony um, down in Roanoke. We think of colonial America as being this kind of powdered wigged, um, apple pie scented Williamsburg sort of experience. And, and, you know, for some it was like that, especially later on into the 1700s. But in the very early years, um, it was really dicey. And nothing illustrates that more than the experience of the settlers at Roanoke. And of course, their experience is shrouded in in mystery. We know that this uh, small group of of settlers uh, was planted off the coast of North Carolina. We know that, um, you know, to simplify things dramatically, the ship came, it dropped them off, It waved goodbye, sailed back to England, and then it returned. And when it returned, what did it find? Basically nothing, right? The settlement had vanished into thin air, and all that was left were some words carved onto a tree, Croatoan. And, you know, the big mystery is, well, what does that mean? Um, Some people theorize that there was a an Indian nation nearby named Croatoan, and um, the, this is the, the, you know, the work of the people to indicate that they had gone off to live with these Indians. Um, others theorized that they were under attack by these Indians, and they were you know, leaving this as a warning. Others uh, argue that, no, there was an island or some you know, place that they called Croatoan to which they had moved. Um, others theorized Uh, that uh, space aliens had come and beamed them up, probed them extensively. Who knows? Who knows? 
But uh, the Roanoke mystery, I think, begins to uh, come into some focus when you look at Jamestown, when you look at Plymouth. What happened to these people? I have a pretty good idea because it's what almost happened to the people who settled Virginia and Massachusetts. Jamestown, right? Jamestown is not the auspicious beginning of American history that people might wish to believe. Jamestown is, uh, in many respects, a death trap. Jamestown is, in many respects, a disaster. Jamestown is, in many respects, a calamity. I tell my students um, that, especially given its unequal gender distribution, depending on your preferences, it's sort of like a, an especially lame fraternity party in a swamp where everybody dies. <laughs> not, not everybody, but, but, but many people. Um, and the, uh, the situation was, was so dire, I, I'm all, almost at a loss for words. Um, so I'm going to rely upon the words of uh, the sadly recently late, um, but, but always great Yale historian Edmund Morgan um, from his book, American Slavery, American Freedom. Uh, generally, it's a really bad idea to try to read to an audience, just not good public speaking, but this is so compelling. You're gonna love it. Um, so hold on to your seats and listen to this. Skip over the first couple of years when it was easy for Englishmen to make mistakes in the strange new world to which they had come. And look at Jamestown in the winter of 1609 to 1610. It is three planting seasons since the colony began. The settlers have fallen into an uneasy truce with the Indians, punctuated by guerrilla raids on both sides, but they have had plenty of time in which they could have grown crops. They have obtained corn from the Indians and supplies from England. They have firearms. Game abounds in the woods, and Virginia's rivers are filled with sturgeon in the summer and covered with geese and ducks in the winter. There are 500 people in the colony now, and they are starving. They scour the woods listlessly for nuts, roots, and berries. And they offer the only authentic examples of cannibalism witnessed in Virginia. One provident man chops up his wife and salts down the pieces. Others dig up graves to eat the corpses. By spring, only 60 are left alive. One final scene. In the spring of 1612, and Governor Dale is supervising the building of a fort at Henrico, near the present site of Richmond. He pauses to deal with some of his men, Englishmen who have committed a serious crime. In the words of George Percy, some he appointed to be hanged, some burned, some to be broken upon wheels, others to be staked, and some to be shot to death. The reason for such extremities was the seriousness of the crime and the need to deter others from it. And you guess what people were doing? Stealing food's a good guess, but that, that wasn't the crime. I don't think there was much to steal. Missing church? No. <laughs> they had run away to live with the Indians. Well, what would you do in, in, in a situation like this? Um, the, uh, the settlers in the spring of 1611 had been reinforced with more men and supplies from England. The preceding winter had not been as gruesome as the one before, thanks in part to corn obtained from the Indians. But the colony still is not growing its own corn. The governor, Lord Delaware, weakened by the winter, has returned to England for his health. 
His replacement, Sir Thomas Dale, reaches Jamestown in May, a time when all hands could have been used in planting. Dale finds nothing planted except some few seeds put into a private garden or two. And the people he finds at their daily and usual works, bowling in the streets. How do you, I mean, what do you, how do you begin to explain this? This is madness. This is suicide. I mean, what is up with Jamestown? It, it seems to make no sense. And, and yet what we know helps us to understand why this colony might have been dysfunctional. And, and I think, you know, a good historian is always looking for multiple causes. Um, there usually isn't just one simple answer, although I think there is one really important part of the answer. Um, but I'll save that for a minute from now. First, I should tell you a couple of things. I mean, there, there are a number of different factors that help us to understand why the people of Jamestown um, were so bad at providing for themselves, were so bad at sustaining themselves. One factor is uh, perhaps that uh, a lot of these, these settlers weren't really settlers. It's kind of faulty to give them that term. They were adventurers. Jamestown, unlike Plymouth, wasn't intended to be a permanent colony. All right? It was an enterprise of the Virginia Company um, of London. Uh, it was this, this private uh, project uh, funded by private investors. They were sending people over, um, including people who were among the investors, to come to the New World, hopefully to discover what the Spanish had discovered in the New World. What did the Fani Spanish find in, in, yeah, the America's gold? They, they hoped to come to America to find gold, to extract it, and go back to England. They wanted to get rich quick. So a very risky enterprise, um, but one that, that was not predicated upon the, the, the belief that these people would settle here permanently. The colony may have been a, a permanent colony. They didn't have planned to abandon it, but the individuals who were there envisioned that, you know, with big smiles on their faces and bags of gold, they would get back on board a ship and head back to England. So that's uh, one factor to consider. I think if you uh, believe that you're establishing something um, for the long run for yourself, you might be more likely to, uh, to set yourself up for success than if you think you're just a, a temporary visitor. Another factor to consider, because they thought that this was not going to be a, uh, a permanent situation um, for themselves as individuals. The vast majority of people who settled in Virginia were, were young guys who were single. The, the gender ratio was very uneven. It was about 85% male, about 15% female. And these guys, many of them, were very young. Um, there were a good number of men in their late teens. Uh, the majority of the uh, adventurers who were at Jamestown were in their 20s. Uh, a smaller number when were in their 30s. I'm 43. By the time you got to my age, you were sort of a, you know, part of the, 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 the geriatric class. It, it was um, an environment where the majority of the men are young and single. And I don't know about you, perhaps you uh, were once a man who was young and single. Uh, perhaps you uh, know men or new men who are young and single. Um, there's probably a reason why auto insurance companies charge young and single men more uh, than, than, than other uh, demographic groups. You know, there, there probably is this, this sense that, um, 
you're invincible, there probably is this sense that it's all for you. You know, now I have uh, a wife, I have two kids, we have a mortgage. Uh, my actions have real consequences, not just for myself, but for other people. So perhaps that uh, had a negative impact upon the behavior of the settlers in Jamestown. There's the fact that a large number of them were children of the aristocracy. We know that the, uh, the laws of England uh, back in the day, and this would apply to America as well for, for decades, um, favored the firstborn son and inheritance. So if you were the, the second or third or fourthborn son of a member of the English gentry, you had to figure out what you were going to do with yourself. You weren't gonna inherit the land, you weren't going to inherit the title. So you need to find some occupation, some way of, of providing yourself, some way of, of moving forward in the world. You could become an officer in the military, uh, you could become a priest, you could uh, try to become a professor at Oxford or Cambridge, um, but there really weren't that many socially accepted uh, options available to you. So the idea of going to Virginia and quickly making uh, your fortune, that was very appealing. Um, but when you think about uh, a, a group of folks you perhaps wouldn't want to leave uh, alone in a swamp in Virginia up to their own devices, maybe the, the spoiled sons of the elite, um, you know, maybe they're not the, the best people to send off you know, on a camping expedition. The, uh, the working class, if, if, if we could use that term, the, the sort of middling people who they brought along um, tended to be urban artisans. Remember that they expected that they were going to find gold. So they brought with them metal workers and, and, and people with related skill sets. They didn't bring with them folks from the countryside who had much experience with farming. So the, the deck might seem to be stacked against them. And then we could add a, another really kind of interesting development. Um, recent scientific work has shown that there was a drought um, in and around Jamestown um, for about five, six, or seven years, um, immediately before and after the arrival of the Jamestown colonists. And this drought uh, not only would have um, impeded the growth of crops. Now, we know it, it didn't stop the growth of crops because they were getting plenty of corn from the Indians. The Indians were, were able to grow corn, um, but it perhaps didn't um, provide them with the most ideal conditions. And, of course, they settled by the James River. And the James River, if it's not you know, fed with, with, with rainfall, would become quite brackish and, and salty. And so if you consume uh, water with too much salt in it, you know, it, it could have... Uh, pretty debilitating physical and, and mental effects. So we, I don't want to discount any of these factors, but I, I think a, a clue to the problem lies in the uh, statement of the governor, Thomas Dale. When, when he arrived, uh, he noticed that nothing was planted except some few seeds put into a private garden or two. And everyone is bowling in the streets. People were growing things, a small number of people were growing things in private gardens. The reason that Dale phrased it this way and the reason that Dale took note of these private gardens is because the, the regime of, 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 of agriculture, as the Virginia Company had set it up, it was a communal enterprise. The Virginia Company didn't want these people 
to be uh, off on their own trying to uh, profit for themselves. The Virginia Company wanted people working diligently for the good of the Virginia Company. And so it came up with this sort of centralized means of, of growing corn and, and, and other foodstuffs. There was communal land, and everybody was supposed to go out into the field. They were all supposed to contribute equally of their labor. And come harvest, they were all going to share equally of the, the bounty that was supposed to result. But what was the result? It was starvation. There was no bounty to share. And we can imagine, and I, you know, it's a shame that our records from the early 1600s are so fragmentary. But, but you could easily imagine how, how this sort of unfolded. Here are these English people. It gets pretty hot in Virginia, pretty muggy. They go on out into the field. They start doing their work. But gosh, you're the second-born son of an aristocrat, or you're from London. You never really spent too much time working the land. This is hard, and it's hot, and oh gosh, I just sneezed. I think I'll call in sick, right? <laughs> and, and, and people sort of get this, this idea, and people begin to, to shirk their duties. And the more people do that, the more the people who remain in the field feel as if they're being taken advantage of, feel as if they're going to be exploited. Just to make the, the numbers easy, imagine that there are 100 people out there who are supposed to be working in the field. And at harvest time, each person is going to get 1% of the crop. Well, if half of them are, are, have called in sick and there are only 50 people out there, they're, they're doing um, double the amount of work that they should do. And they're still only going to get 1% of the crop. The incentives are all messed up. They're all wrong. So a few people, a few smart people, they, they decide that they're going to break the rules and kind of establish, you know, lay claim to their own little plot of land. They're going to grow some corn for themselves. But it seems the majority just give up. They get drunk. They go bowling in the streets. They just sort of hang around. And they watch as they themselves and, and, and others around them starve to death. They rely on the Indians, with whom they have an uneasy relationship. Powhatan, um, you know, the chief of this powerful uh, nation uh, that surrounded Jamestown, had a good reason to keep the, 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 these new Virginians around. They, they brought um, goods from the, from the old world um, to trade, um, including weapons that would make him even more powerful. Um, so he liked having them around to trade, but they were kind of pesky. They were kind of annoying. And they were mooches. They were mooches because they became completely reliant upon the Powhatans for their food. So Jamestown's a real disaster until, until Thomas Dale decides, and he doesn't even, you know, it, it would probably take too much time uh, for it to happen anyway, but he doesn't ask permission from the Virginia Company. He on his own says, this is a crisis. We, I need to intercede. I'm going to divide up the land. And, and I'm going to assign, you know, private plots to individuals. And I'm going to make them responsible for growing their own land, or growing their own food. And once he does, suddenly there's corn. Once he does, the starvation ceases. 
And soon, of course, Jamestown is going to get on its own two feet economically. They never discover the gold that they'd been looking for, but they do discover that they can plant um, this, this amazing uh, crop that is almost as good as gold, tobacco, right? And tobacco becomes um, the reason for their existence. And slowly um, and, and unsurely, Virginia kind of gets uh, planted firmly into the ground. And uh, by the middle of the 1600s, the colony begins to flourish. But we could see in Jamestown what probably happened in Roanoke. The, the mystery of Roanoke, um, I think, is, is, is pretty easily solved. We might not know the specifics, but I think that's the, the basic contours of what happened. Rob McDonald is an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute and an associate professor of history at the United States Military Academy. You can learn more about Cato University at our website, cato.org.